Several years ago, I was in a, uh, at a Christian concert, and one of the, the lead singers was a lady, and she gave a testimony about halfway through the, uh, uh, through the concert. She, she shared that she had become a Christian, and that her first years of Christian, you know, she was learning, she was trying to grow, but she noticed that she seemed... Uh, to to be flat spiritually, just didn't have power, didn't have joy. And when she prayed, she felt like she was hitting the ceiling and she was ineffective. And she went and talked to her, her pastor about this. And as they began to, to try to unpack what was going on in her life, he soon realized that the, it was the way she was dealing with the sin in her life that was limiting her life. She had been basically taught that you just, when you pray, you say, God, if I've sinned, forgive me, amen. And he began to teach her the importance of specifically naming and and being open and honest about your sin. And she said it was a turnaround point in her spiritual life and in the rest of her prayer life. This morning, we're in 1 John chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about confessing our sins as a part of prayer. If you've been here, we're in a prayer series, series on prayer. And we, we, uh, the last two weeks, we, we begin to talk about how do you, like your prayer time, how do you pray? Jesus gave us some ways to pray. If you're here and you're not a Christian, man, we want you to become a Christian today. And, and we're teaching about prayer because as a Christian, you'll never grow or develop past your prayer life. And, and so when you pray in your prayer life, we began two weeks ago talking about praising God in our prayer. And then we talked last week about forgiving others as a very important part of prayer. And this morning, this third part, we're talking about confessing our sins. And the first thing we want to start with is we all sin. Did you know that? Are you shocked to hear that? Are you surprised to hear that? You do sin. This book was written by a guy named John. God wrote it through him, and he was writing it late at the end of the first century, maybe as much as 60 to 65 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. John was the last of the apostles, Jesus' best friends there, to die. And so he's writing, and he's, he's kind of facing a heresy where people were beginning to say, kind of dismiss sin in the believer's life and its impact, and that really your, what you did in the flesh didn't matter. And it was absolutely wrong. And, and he begins addressing that. He tells us that we all sin. And in 1 John 1 8, it says, we, If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Now, remember, the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and, and that's important to understand. We look at some of the words this morning, and when the, in verse 8, there's five words for sin, Greek words for our one word, sin, and we'll look at those in just a moment. But in verse 8, when it says, if we claim we, have, we are without sin, that word sin there means missing the scope or the goal of life. It, it means to have a sinful nature. Listen, you have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature. If you're not a Christian, you have a sinful nature. If you are a Christian, you have a sinful nature and a God nature. You have two natures. And we're told those natures fight each other all the time. And you know that's true. We, we sin, but we, we, we're sinners on the inside out. But verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, you see plural there to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all wickedness. And in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, 
And the word sin there, it means acts of sins. It means to miss the mark. But it, it means things we do are things we don't do. That if we claim we have not sinned, that we don't do things we shouldn't, we are calling God a liar. Is that not powerful? And showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Now, folks, this was, this was written originally for Christians, this first John was. And, and I want to give you the, the five New Testament words for sin. I'm going to give you the English translation, but it's interesting. See if you're guilty of any of these. Unbelief, breaking of the law, unrighteousness, doing things that aren't right. Uh, desire for other things are missing the mark. Let me tell you something. You are guilty, and so am I. If you don't believe me and you're married, ask your spouse. Ask your parents. Young people, dare to ask your, your youth or your children, do I sin? And, and have the courage to say, you bet you do, mom and dad. You sin. You have a, tell them you've got a sin nature. The preacher even said it. In Germany in 2009, there was a, a scientist did a very interesting study. He took hundreds of people out into an open field. He blindfolded them, and he said, I want you to walk a straight line. And what he found out is that some people could walk a straight line for, for 10 paces, some for 20 paces, some for 30 paces. Every single person who started this always would bend off. Some would go to the left, some would go to the right. And, and miraculously, almost every single one of them would start, then they would bend off, and then they would end up almost circling back. He'd take the blindfold off, and he'd say, do you think you walked a straight line? Absolutely, I walked a straight line. He didn't say... Some of them didn't. He said every single person didn't. And I want to tell you, every one of us doesn't walk a straight line when it comes to God. That, that we're sinners. We, we, we have a sinful nature. And as a Christian, that does not cause you to lose your relationship with God. I certainly do not believe that you can lose your salvation if you truly have it any more than your child can lose being your child, even if they're very disrespectful and rebellious against you. They are still your child. But that sure can put a damper on the fellowship in the home, can't it? And that's what this, we're talking about here. This is talking about our relationship with God, that if you have this that cannot be broken, but our fellowship with God, our interaction with God can certainly be impacted by how we live. I've done this several times. It's always fun. We're going to do it again. I want you to take your pointer finger. Come on, play along with me. Point to the person to your left, to your left. If you need help with what left is, Scott Simmons, left is the other way, brother. There you go. Say, you're a sinner. Tell them like you mean it. Point to the right. Say it to them like you mean it. And so I, I can tell the men that never don't wear the pants in the family because they look at their wives like little mouses. You're a sinner. Now, put your hand on your chest and say this. I'm a sinner. Okay, are you comfortable? You're not, I hope you're not comfortable. We all sin. But here's the second part. We need to confess our sins to God. We need to confess our sins to God. Two weeks ago when I was preaching on praising God, I talked about a book that I had seen where th this, this man surveyed young adults. And I, and I said this two weeks ago, and I believe this is true. I don't think this is just young adults. I think this would be of any age. And he, and he found out 
Two areas of their prayer life that were notoriously weak. One was they didn't praise God very well. And again, I don't think that's just young adults. I think that's everybody. And the second thing, they didn't confess their sins very well. I want to tell you why I believe that's true. One, it's hard. It's hard to deal with the junk in your life. It's not easy. I think ego gets in the way. It's, it, you've got to humble yourself to confess your sins and to confess to God that you're a sinner. Sometimes it's a theological issue. I had a person tell me, this was several years ago, they said, well, I'm a Christian. When I got saved, all my sins are forgiven. I don't have to confess to God my sins to be forgiven. And here's what they were confusing. They were confusing our position in Christ. When you became a Christian, you confessed your sins to be forgiven of your unbelief. That slate's wiped clean. You're a brand new person. But listen, you still walk on this earth and you still sin against God. You don't need salvation cleansing. You need fellowship cleansing. This was written to Christians. Verse 8 and 9. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Written to Christians. Verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, he has an advocate who pleads his case. And that advocate, obviously, is the Holy Spirit in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew 6, 12, Matthew 6, 12, Jesus teaching us how to pray and said, Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. Listen, this is important. You don't confess your sins to re-get your salvation. You have that, and if you really have that, I believe you have that for eternity. You confessed you were a sinner to be saved. That is salvation relationship there. As a Christian, we confess our sins to stay in good fellowship with God. These passages were written to Christians. These words were written to believers. Again, a child can always be your child, but can be in a bad fellowship connection with you if things, if they're doing things that aren't right, and and, and your, your relationship is strained at that point. So how do we confess our sins? How do we do this? I hope you're sold that you need to do it. I'm telling you it is the biblical truth. How do we do it? How do we confess our sins? Let's look at, uh, at verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us. The word confess is made up of two Greek words. It's put, they put two Greek words together to get the word confess. The first word literally is the word we would translate it homo, H-O-M-O. And we, we have that we understand that. That means same. You put it with sexual, it's the same sex. The second word is the word lego, L-E-G-O, which means to speak. To confess is to say the same thing, to speak the same thing about something. Here it's talking about sin. What is confessing our sin? It is saying the same thing about our sin that God does. It's owning it. I love the story of a guy who went down in a revival, and he came to the counselor, and he said, I want to get right with God. And so they said, well, let's kneel down. And the counselor said, you, you pray to God. And the guy started praying. He goes, oh, God, oh, God, if we have sinned, forgive us. And the counselor stopped, and he said, wait a second. First of all, leave me out of this. 
This is about you. And secondly, don't say to God, if we've sinned, you know you've sinned. Deal with the stuff in your life. Confession is me saying the same thing about my sin that God does. What does God say about your sin and my sin? Number one, he says it's sin. He says it's yours. Daniel, don't blame your wife. Don't blame your parents. They impact us, no question. Don't blame your friends. When you're confessing your sins, you're saying to God, God, I have sinned. The first thing God says about it is that it's yours. Secondly, you get specific and honest. That's what the verbiage here is. It's an ongoing, continuing thing where you're being specific and honest. In other words, I call my behavior sin. I say, God, I've lied. God, I've cheated. My attitude's been bad. I haven't been the husband that I should have been. I haven't been the person I should have been. It's also those sins of omission. God, I haven't prayed like I should have. I haven't been in church like I should have. I don't give like I should. I don't serve like I should. I'm a critic instead of an encourager. It's being open and specific and honest about the junk in our life. Listen, no relationship is built on deception and denial, is it? You will have no good relationship with someone if you're not being open and honest. Here's what God's saying. God's saying as Christians, we sin. It doesn't affect our eternity. It affects our fellowship with God here on this earth. We need cleansing. That cleansing comes when we get honest with God and when we're willing to say the same thing about the stuff we do that God does, that it's mine, that it's sin, and that it's wrong. Let me give you a third thing, and this is a hard point. To not confess our sins renders our prayer life dead. You make a choice this morning that your opinion on prayer or something you've read negates this. That, that's, I mean, that's your choice. But all I'm going to do is try to keep you in the Bible. And what the Bible teaches on this is extremely serious. It does more. When you don't confess your sins to God as a believer, it does more than render your prayer life ineffective. But this is the huge focus this morning. Look at verse 9 again. But if we confess, if is a conditional preposition. In other words, forgiveness for the believer and his fellowship with Christ is not automatic. It is conditional, and it is conditioned on our confession of our sins. When you and I, when we live as believers, and I talked about this last week, you're full of bitterness, you don't forgive people, it's your choice. Your prayer lives are flat. When you make a choice that you're not going to be honest about your sin, you're not going to deal with the stuff in your life, it's your choice. But you need to understand you're compromising your prayer life. Psalm 66, 18. I used this last week. You need to memorize this verse. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart. Read that last part. Wow. Isaiah 59, verse 1 and 2. Listen, the Lord's arm is not too weak to save you. Nothing wrong with God's strength. Nor his ear too deaf to hear you call. It's your sin that has cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he has turned away and will not listen anymore. Does that bother you? 
I'm going to tell you, that bothers me. When we pray, whose terms do we pray on? God's. I don't make the rules. It'd be cool if I did, for me. But I don't. I don't mean to bust your bubble, but you don't make the rules. My favorite preacher doesn't make the rules. Obviously, your favorite preacher is me, so kidding, kidding, kidding. When I don't deal with the stuff and the sin in my life, what gives me the right to think that God is just going, hey, you know, it doesn't matter if they're committing adultery. They're looking at pornography all the time. They're getting drunk. Stir up trouble at church or work or on the football team, whatever, baseball team. A neglectful parent. They don't pray. And then we think we can just go to God. And God's like, hey, I'm just here for you. I'm your flunky. What do you need? It's crazy. How many of you ever heard of the book, The Power of Positive Thinking? You ever heard of that book? It's, it's a great book. It was written by a guy named Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale's daddy was a preacher. Now, Norman Vincent Peale died in 1994, and he was like 140. And so this had to be like almost at the Civil War time. But when he was 10, his daddy had warned him over and over and over, I better not catch you smoking. I better not catch you smoking. People smoked at a younger age back in the early 1900s than they, uh, they do. I mean, like legal age to smoke was like one. <laughs> and, and so him and his friends were 10, and they found some cigars. And what do 10-year-old boys do when they get cigars? Right? So they're smoking their cigars, and then they realize the circus is in town. And they want to go to the circus, but they're 10-year-old boys, so to go to the circus, they got to get money from their parents. Peel sees his dad coming down the street. He forgets he has his cigar in his hand. Then he remembers it. So he runs up to his dad, and he puts the lit cigar behind his back. Now, are y'all smart enough to know a lit cigar, the smoke just doesn't stop because your parents walk in the room, correct? And neither does the smell for like three days. And he said, Daddy, there's a circus in town. Can I have money to go to the circus? And his father was an old preacher. And he said, Son, don't ask for my favor when you have a smoldering disobedience behind your back. <laughs> I wonder this morning how many of us are praying and we're seeking God to help us, to bless us. And that's wonderful. But we got stuff that we are not dealing with. Confessing with a desire to turn from it. You're never going to be perfect at it. And there's some things with your attitude, your tongue, and your, your, just your, your, your life that you're going to have to confess and deal with every day. But unless we have a, an attitude and heart of confession with a desire to turn from it, it renders our prayer life dead if we take the Bible seriously. So here's what I want to encourage you. Make confession of sin a first and key part of your prayer life. I mean, this is so serious. Again, in verse 9, if we confess, 
if we confess, the verbiage, like I said earlier, is continuous. In other words, this is, this is something that we do, that we do the rest of our life. I want to encourage you in your personal prayer time. I want to encourage you in your personal prayer time to begin by praising God. And then spend that time getting your heart right with other people. And then confess your sins to God. Open, specific, and honest. I love what Billy Graham said. Billy Graham said, keep short accounts with God. In other words, when things happen throughout the day, confess it to God and deal with it. Some of you are going, I don't know what to confess. I've got an experiment for you. I want you to go home today, and I want you to ask God. Say, God, I want you to start showing me my sins. Here's, I, I, listen. Do that for three days, and you be very honest with yourself, and then you're going to be emailing me on Tuesday, furious that I encouraged you to do that. <laughs> because God's going to start showing you stuff that you're not even going to think's wrong. God's going to start revealing to you things that you're going to go, is that sin? Things that you're not doing. Things that you're doing. Again, if you have any struggle, ask some close friends to help you. They'll help you with the confession of your sins too. But make this a regular and consistent part of your prayer life. Now, I had a, I had a person, this was, this was several years ago, wasn't a Rustin person, who I challenged to do this. I preached on it, I taught on it. They came back to me about a week later, and here's what they said. Chris, I tried this. It's too negative. I, I confess my sins. I start bringing this stuff up, and it just reminds me of how I failed. <laughs> you know, and they were getting a little emotional. And, and, it, and they told me, it just hurt my self-esteem. Okay. This person had chronic insomnia. They were depressed. They were not very good with other people, and they were not very powerful and effective with God. And I honestly think I pinpointed the cure, but they just didn't like what the medicine tastes like. In verse 9, listen to what it says. When we confess, God is faithful and just. In other words, God will do it. Isn't that great? When God, it says God's faithful, God's going to make it happen. He is faithful and just to forgive. The word forgive means to send away or to dismiss. It's the picture tomorrow of going to the bank and the bank, you go to pay on your house note and the, or the car note or whatever it is and the banker says, your slate is clean. How many of you would love that? Well, that's called Fantasy Island, okay? It's not going to happen. It's just a good illustration. It's wiping it clean. It's going before the judge and him saying, instead of Angola... You're going home. I'm wiping it clean. When we confess our sins, God forgives us as he cleanses us. Romans love cleanliness. And that's the idea of someone being filthy and being washed and bathed and being clean. That word cleanse there was the word that was used when Jesus would heal a leper, to heal them of the, their disease, to make them whole again. And see, when we confess our sins to God, we're open, specific, and honest. It says God forgives us. God's got the ability to do what you and I can't do. He he can forget it. Isn't that cool? He forgets it and he cleanses us and he wipes us clean. See, my experience is just the opposite of this person I was mentioning earlier. This is a hard part of prayer. This is tough. 
But what I find when I do this daily, almost instantly when I've done this, I feel clean. I feel a burden lifted off. I feel better. And I know that I can go in the presence of God and ask, expecting God to hear and to respond to my prayers. I was in a revival service, and I was one of you. We didn't have cell phones then, so I wasn't really one of you, but I was, you know, I was in the service a participant. And the preacher was a guy named Henry Lingenfelter. Anybody ever heard that name before? You'd never forget the name if you'd heard it. That's why I asked. He was, he was a powerful preacher. And he said this toward the end of the sermon this evening, that evening. He said, some of you are going to get a call in the next week or the next month. Somebody you love is in the ICU in critical condition. Or you're going to get a call or you're going to find out something in your life is tragic and urgent. And you're going to desperately need to pray to God for help. But because of unconfessed sin, you're going to have no power with the Father. And he challenges that evening, spend the rest of your life making this a key an important part of your prayer life. I want to challenge you to do the same thing. Let's pray. This morning, if you're a Christian, I hope God's speaking to your heart about what you need to do, adjustments and corrections that you need to make in your life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you've never given your life to Jesus, you never crossed that line with him, but you're ready to today, I want to I ask you to pray with me. If you're ready to do this, pray with me where you are and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I want to turn from my sins. And Jesus, I accept that you're God's son and that you died and you rose for me. Come into my heart. And this morning, I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention just for a second. We're going to stand in a moment. And when we do, here's what I want you to do. You just ask Christ in your heart. Are you ready to do that? I know it's hard, but you stand and you come today. You come and cross that line with Jesus. Everything rises and falls. Everything starts there. Come and do that this morning. Maybe you're here and you'd like to join our church family. We would love for you to do that. You can do it after church. Or you can come when we stand in a moment. You can come and join us. We would love for you to. Christian, maybe this morning in this area of your prayer life, you're doing great. Keep it up. Maybe the truth is you're not. And, and where you're standing or at the altar, you need to make a commitment to God to get serious about this so you can have the power with God in prayer that you need. It's your choice.
Lots at stake in what you choose. Let's stand. As God leads you, you come. We'll be waiting on you.